Hello, and welcome back to the Wealth Report podcast by Hightower Advisors, where each month we have a conversation with someone from the Hightower community to discuss timely topics that can help us all move toward our definition of true wealth. This month, we will be sharing a previously recorded conversation on college planning in the era of COVID. Professional college coach Andy Green answers questions from a high school junior who is deep in the process. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks everybody for joining. And I'm Megan McCartan. I'm in charge of marketing at Hightower Corporate. And as we were looking around at what would be a great topic to be able to discuss during COVID times, this sprang to mind. And we thought who better to interview an expert about getting into college than someone trying to get into college. So Emma is here with Andy, who is a college coach. If you have, they're going to be in a discussion about what to think of and, and what to think through as you're going through this process. If you have questions, please put them in the Q&A chat at the bottom of the screen, and we will share them as time allows. But without further ado, I'm going to turn it over, Emma, to you to be able to kind of introduce yourself and then kick it off. Hi, my name is Emma McCartan. I am a high school junior, and I've been pretty active in trying to figure out how um, the whole college process, despite the fact that we are all in online school right now, and I've been remote since last March. Andy, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your firm? Hi, I'm Andy Greenspan. I am a director of college advising. Thank you, Emma, for having me at International College Counselors. We're one of the largest college counseling firms in the country with offices throughout much of the Southeast and the Northeast and now into Ohio. We work with students all over the world and we work with students with varying aspirations from big public universities to small liberal arts colleges to the Ivies and such, and the top 20 selective schools. Uh, We think there's a college for everyone, and we work very hard to find the right fit. Some of the things we do that are really important are on this list, obviously helping students narrow the college search and come up with a list of, we recommend 10 colleges, and Cultivating extracurricular activities is really important, something we're going to be talking about a little later on. Brainstorming and uh, working on essays, which are a centerpiece of applications, interview prep, and all sorts of other things. And um, I'd like to say, since we're talking to um, financial advisors, that we'd like to think in your lexicon that we beat the S&P, which means that uh, I think we do considerably better um, in the national average in terms of acceptances at colleges uh, around the country. Yeah, so that's a great starting point for our conversation, I think. And what do you think are some of the most important things colleges are looking at today, regardless of COVID? Yeah, that's a great question, a great way uh, to start off. Well, there's just absolutely no question that, that your transcript, your grades are really important, but it's also what you're taking. If you're applying to a selective college, they want to see if you have opportunities to challenge yourself with rigorous courses such as APs or the International Baccalaureate, that you are doing so. And we often get asked the question, you know, what's better, an A in an honors course or a B in an AP course? And I'm just the messenger here, but I will tell you that if you're applying to a selective school, increasingly A's in AP courses are immensely helpful. We have a bit of breaking news today, literally, when it comes to standardized tests. First of all, as you know, or many of you know, because of COVID, the ACT and the SAT were not required by the vast majority of colleges this year because many students simply couldn't take them or take them more than once, as is usual. So for the moment, uh, for this admission cycle, uh, many colleges remain test optional. I should add, though, that that doesn't mean test blind, meaning that if you have very good scores, please send them in. The breaking news is that this morning, the College Board announced 
that they are eliminating SAT subject tests. These are hour-long tests and specific subjects that have often been recommended and in some cases required by many schools. This will probably place more emphasis on advanced placement tests, which many students take around the country. Also, the essay portion of the SAT itself, which is a different animal than the SAT subject test, that has also been eliminated. Briefly, essays, as you saw, are absolutely a critical portion of the application process. As we'll discuss later on, these are an opportunity for a student to introduce himself or herself as a flesh and blood human being. Recommendations, certainly, from uh, your teachers. And by the way, we recommend, in terms of recommendations, that those come from uh, teachers in core courses, uh, meaning math, social science, science, foreign language, or English in your junior year. So I hope I haven't been too verbose here, uh, Emma, but uh, that is, those are some key elements. Yeah, and I think that brings me to another question, which is um, now factoring in COVID, are college admissions departments looking at candidates any differently this year, considering all the extenuating circumstances? Yeah, great question. I think every college admissions department would say, hey, we're human beings too. And we've been, rather than being on campus in the admissions office, we've been hunkered down in our homes trying to uh, manage our professional and our personal lives. You know, many prominent schools on their websites have said, be it Vanderbilt, Northwestern, Yale, uh, we are sensitive to what you are going through. We know that many of you have been unable since the spring to do your extracurricular activities. And we will take that into account. We also know that your transcript may look different, that instead of the traditional ABC, it may have pass-fail on it. We know uh, that there are just all sorts of different adjustments that you're making. We know, of course, that you may not have been able to submit ACT or SATs because they've been canceled numerous times. So they are not living in a vacuum. They uh, fully appreciate, you know, the sort of widespread impact of COVID in their world and your world as well. That said, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit, uh, when it comes to extracurricular activities in particular, uh, colleges love entrepreneurial, nimble students who uh, might see being you know, cooped up at home as a challenge and find ways to take advantage of all their time at home in a creative, constructive way. I think that's definitely something I've been realizing too, that you just need to like make the most of the time you have while you're at home. And I was wondering, so um, last year as a sophomore, I was able to take some standardized tests that you, know, you need to get into college. But this year, uh, I know the sophomores don't have that opportunity. So while we are at home to make the most of your time, do you know of how should kids be preparing for when the tests are offered because they will not be offered as much to just make the right. most opportunities. This is not facetious, but the first thing you should do, and we recommend, <laughs> when, we, when we start with students, we say, well, what kinds of books do you like to read? And then we prepare a reading list of about four or five books within that genre for a student. So the first answer to the question, at least for the verbal portion, is read. <laughs> uh, we like to recommend that students, I mean, it sounds obvious, read 20 minutes a day, but it's invaluable. Second, there are online tests at khanacademy.org, K-H-A-N academy.org, that you can reference for the SAT and for the PSAT. And the ACT commonly has tests that you can take. One thing I would recommend also is get used to taking the full test in one solid chunk. Taking these tests is an endurance feat in addition to an intelligence feat. Students 
energy, understandably, sometimes flags in that last third of the test. So approach this as kind of a marathon runner who, after doing 18 or 19 miles, needs to push for the next six or seven miles. And the more you can acclimate uh, your, your brain and your body to that, the better your score will be, I think. Yeah. Finally, one, one other thing I should add, and this is stating the obvious, and I know everyone knows about the existence of these folks, but there are some very good tutors out there who, you know, we have a network of folks around the country that we work with who can really boost your scores and prepare you even before you take your test. So that's, that's another important thing if you want to go down that route. I really believe that it's valuable for a student to take a diagnostic test very early on, maybe 10th grade. That test is administered by a tutor, usually on a Saturday or Sunday morning, in which it's determined whether the student is a better ACT test taker or SAT test taker. And once you know, then you can focus on one or the other. Why take and, and spend energy when you've already got busy lives uh, focusing on both tests? Yeah, I think that's a really just valuable lesson for college in general, I guess, to, you know, play up your strengths and what you do have. And that um, we have to have an advisor question. And they're asking sort of in this vein, my daughter is a foreign exchange student in Denmark this year for her junior year in high school. What is the best way to leverage that experience in her application process? Well, I, yeah, it, that is the college essay. Why did you choose to go overseas? What in particular about Denmark is especially fascinating? And tell us a, a story about Denmark once you got there. What surprised you? What disappointed you? What fascinated you? And then tell us how the experience of being in Denmark will sort of transition or translate to what you hope to do in college? How is this a foundation for uh, what moves you forward into uh, the next four years of your life? So I would, I would say that the best way to leverage that experience is in the personal essay on the common application. And um, we have another attendee question, which is, what can the average or below average student do to distinguish themselves now? And I think that would kind of have to do with the essay too, maybe. Well, the most important thing is to start is to get going. You know, one of the things that we, we preach is don't be a Johnny come lately. Don't join a bunch of clubs at the last minute and think that by just saying that you're a member of a club, uh, that a college and that you have eight or nine or 10 activities on your common application that a college is going to necessarily like that. Commit to something. Dip your toes in the sort of extracurricular water, whatever it is, in ninth or 10th grade and find out, you know, what clubs, what things interest you. Pursue your passion. Commit to one or two or three things. Colleges, no matter if they are selective or even moderately selective, are increasingly looking for stories these days. Um, they are increasingly looking for who is this student and how does he or she separate himself or himself or herself from the pack. Right now, and I know that we're going to um, talk about this a little later on, but there are for you know, be they average or, or above average students, some amazing virtual volunteer opportunities online. And I know we, we will note those later on, but Zooniverse, uh, Z-O-O-N-I-V-E-R-S-E dot org is one of my favorites. And if you're an average student or below average student, there are just some amazing things that you can do and almost every discipline there. I've had students there, and, and Zooniverse is an umbrella organization for all sorts of nonprofits. And I've had students transcribe 
or try to just literally decipher, this is one of the assignments and you can get community service hours for some of these things. Uh, the notes of previous past Supreme Court justices that they would take before conferences. And they there were a lot of scribbles, so it was difficult to decipher them. I've had students um, counting penguins in the Antarctic uh, as part of a, uh, an environmental group called Penguin Watch. I've had students record the names of Holocaust survivors and victims so that families all over the world can be informed about their loved ones if they haven't already or be reunited. So, you know, so these are some interesting uh, tasks that you can do online right now, Uh, whether you be, you know, a potential Rhodes Scholar or whether you be as the uh, manager as an average student. Yeah, that's really interesting. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Emma, I had a question for you. You said that you've been, and maybe you're being humble here, but you said that you've um, you've done um, some interesting, uh, I know you're a theater person mm-hmm. and you've managed, which is really great, mm-hmm. to do theater somehow, c- to keep your theater alive um, from home. Yeah. So um, because we have not been able to do our normal fall and spring productions this year, My school has restarted our International Thespian Society chapter. So that's been a lot of work from home, Um, a lot of meetings online where we just have been, it's been a lot of planning mostly. Yeah. To keep up the spirit and like the community of theater, even while we can't be together. So that's been very fun. And yeah, that's great. I mean, there's so many ways that students are sort of trying to continue to keep their interests alive. I have a student in St. Louis, actually, just a phenomenal young lady who has been active in Model UN and so many, so many schools, Model UN has been shut down, but there is an online Model UN component, uh, just as there is a, an online Future Business Leaders of America component. Um, there are so many opportunities out there that students can continue to pursue. If you speak Spanish, (laughs) the Red Cross has been in need of uh, Spanish translation. There are opportunities, believe it or not, through the United Nations for uh, volunteering. In some cases, translation, in some cases, video editing and other things. So, I mean, these are frankly, aside from anything else, look pretty darn good on your resume and show that during this sort of uncertain and in fact stressful time, you're being nimble, you're doing cool stuff. I have another student, if you don't mind, I just mention a few things, um, who is hugely into environmental sustainability and she's doing a podcast, which obviously she's able to do from home, interviewing you know, civic leaders and so on. Uh, Finally, I have another student who has suffered from ulcerative colitis, and she has started an Instagram blog about uh, health and nutrition. And the through line in all of these things, I think, and this relates not just to COVID extracurricular activity, but extracurricular activity as a whole, is what are you passionate about? What means the most to you? And how can you take that passion and channel it constructively? You know, you don't need to solve world hunger. You don't need to cure cancer. You just need to find your lane and do very well in it. Perfect. Good advice. And we've been talking a lot about extracurriculars, like, you know, sports and activities like that type of stuff. But how important are jobs, do you think, in holding jobs as a high school student to the college application process? I think, first of all, an internship is a fabulous thing, you know, uh, paid or unpaid. Uh, I've had students do terrific, you know, if you're interested in law, you know, some county or district attorney's offices have internships, legal aid societies have internships. They're just uh, 
amazing, some research institutes down here in South Florida, Scripps, which I also know out, is out in California, an amazing uh, research institute has um, internships. Uh, there are a ton, congressmen um, have internships for high school students. I'm not sure whether those will be available because of COVID. In terms of jobs it, it available this, this season, in terms of job jobs, like any, you know, working at McDonald's or that kind of thing, great, I would say, especially if it's essential to you and your family in terms of your overall, you know, sort of income picture. If you're doing it for those reasons, good. But if, frankly, you, you know, you're not a student who necessarily is going to need financial aid, then a, a college might look and say, well, why has he or she spent the summer flipping burgers at McDonald's? And, yeah, and, and let me just say, and, and this may be stating the obvious to a certain extent, but summers are a really, really important time for you to continue to sort of build on what you love, be they summer programs on college campuses and you name it, there are summer programs in virtually every interest and in every discipline or, you know, opportunities that we uh, have access to for amazing uh, online academic pursuits, internships and those things. So colleges want to see how you are continuing to grow your interest in particular over the summer. Now that doesn't mean we as a group are opposed to fun. We all know you wanna to go to the beach, hike mountains and quote unquote chill, but a healthy balance over the summer is a good thing. Yeah, that's really helpful. I know that I've been trying to you know, figure out what I can do this summer to stay involved, whether it be working at like our local yacht club or I have like working on projects in fields of interest that I don't necessarily get to study at school. And one question, another question we have from an attendee is uh, going back to standardized testing. When should a student ideally take their first SAT test and how often should they take it? Yeah, I think let's go back a second. I think that he or she should, should, ideally take a diagnostic test, mm -hmm. maybe at right after getting out of school in sophomore year. So the end of sophomore year, you can certainly take it earlier. And then begin to prep over that so uh, summer between sophomore and junior year with an aim, you will take the PSAT for the vast majority of students do, uh, usually in October. And then you can begin to take your ACT or um, SATs in the fall of your junior year. And how many times to take it? You know, it depends on where you're aiming. If, frankly, uh, you're aiming for Stanford and, you know, you've got a 30 on your first ACT, that's a commendable score, but it's not a Stanford score. So you need to take it until you're at least at a 34. Ideally. So we have students who take it three times. I have students just in December who are in this admission cycle still looking to boost their ACT scores or SAT scores with one more test. So I hope that sort of answers the question to an extent. Oh, I, I should add one other thing. In a perfect world, it's a very good idea for, for us collectively. When I say that, it means me, it means the student and his or her family to know where you sit with your ACT or SAT scores, your best scores by the end of your junior year. Now, why is that? Because at that point, we are finalizing your college list and we want to use your score as a factor in determining which colleges you should be thinking about. And between junior and senior year is a critical time for our work with students. Why? Because we are working with students on college essays, not just the personal essay, which is in many ways the centerpiece of the application, but in all of the supplemental essays, 
which colleges require. Now, to give you an idea of that, we recommend students apply to 10 colleges and a balanced list of colleges between, you know, reach schools, uh, you know, in the conversation schools and other and other schools where, you know, you have a reasonably good chance of getting in. But all of many, many of those schools, many, many of those schools will have supplemental essays. Why do you want to come to BU? Why do you want to come to the University of Colorado, et cetera, et cetera? So over that summer, a student might be, we hope, getting through most of those with our help can be up to 15 or 20 essays. So one factor leads to another. We need, it's, it's most helpful to know your best test scores as we enter that summer between your junior and senior years. Perfect. That is definitely very helpful. And it's always nice to have like a timeline of what you should be doing each year. Yes. And you've been talking a lot about the essays. So, I mean, I know for school, I have to write a lot of essays for history or English where it's very analytical and it's like these huge word counts. But for college essays, what are some tips you have for composing a strong college essay? Yeah. First of all, some background. There are seven uh, for the the centerpiece essay, the the personal essay. There are seven prompts you can choose from. And and I think uh, with all fairness, uh, this is on the common application, which is that application that the vast majority of students will use. Uh, there's a coalition application that's also popular, and their their questions are similar. And some of those questions are, you know, name a challenge you've confronted and how you've overcome it. What tell us about your identity? It can be gender, uh, community. What community do you? belong to and tell us how and why that's important. Uh, These are all separate questions. What is something that you think constantly about? What is a fascination you have? Tell us about it and and how have you expanded your interest? So those are just some examples. I think the most important thing, as I may have said, this is an opportunity for a student to introduce himself or herself to a college for the first time as a human being, a flesh and blood human being. It's not just my GPA is a 3.8. It's not just my SAT is, you know, 1450. It's who am I? And you are selling yourself in your essay, but you may sell yourself in different ways. You may tell a story from your life that, you know, changed your perspective on life, which is interesting. Uh, You may, as I mentioned, tell a story about a challenge that you've overcome. I think the essay needs to, and we brainstorm considerably with uh, our students on essays before they write, uh, the essay needs to, to really grab that admissions officer in a way. Um, Consider that admissions officers are going probably to spend no more than 15 to 20 minutes per application. There's a, a, and you know, so you want to highlight what's most distinctive and interesting about you in a way that sells you. Um, you know, I have, uh, there's a great uh, book. All of the folks listening should read this book. It's called The Gatekeepers, and it's by Jacques Steinberg. And he was an education correspondent for the New York Times. And he got access to Wesleyan University's admissions office for a year, real access. And he tells this wonderful story of this Wesleyan admissions officer in Middletown, Connecticut, sitting out on his uh, front porch in reading season, which is January or February, I guess he had an overcoat on, trying to stay awake, getting through his uh, quota of applications for the day, sipping Diet Cokes to try to stay awake. And I think of that admissions officer all the time when I work with my students. What is it at 1030 at night after he's gone through his 14 applications that day is going to make him sit up and take notice and say, huh, 
I really like this kid. This is interesting. So tell your story and look to highlight that part of you, whether it's in terms of achievements, uh, personal revelations, experiences that are distinctive. You're telling your story. And might I add, as I, I think I mentioned before, whether it's in extracurriculars or on the essay, story is just so important. And extracurriculars are just so important these days. They are not to be minimized because they are for, with the vast increase, and there has been a vast increase in applications to colleges over the years, uh, in part because there are a million more high school seniors than there were uh, 20 years ago. It's, it's vitally important to have a story that differentiates you. Vitally, vitally important. Because colleges want to know, they assume at a certain point, if you've got a 3.8 and a 1380, depending on the college, that you can do the work here. But what have you done in your high school years that suggests to me as an admissions officer at a college that you're going to continue to contribute to our college in similar ways? And that's important. How will you make the life of our college better? Um, and, and so that's in part why extracurriculars, not necessarily having 10 and being, you know, a jack of all trades, but a master of none, but having one or two where you really separate yourself from the pack is, is helpful. And as, as this slide says, there is no right activity. The most important thing is what are you passionate about? What do you care about? And frankly, you know, we get asked the question, well, what if a student isn't passionate in capital letters about one thing? Then we help them find things that they explore and begin to like, and then maybe ideally almost fall in love with. But uh, some of it is early on, as I said, dipping your toes in the water, join a club, start something. If there isn't um, a, a club at your school in your interest, you know, I've had students start a, 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 an esports club. I, I've had students start a forensic club. My favorite example is of a student who loved marine biology and was head of her own club at a private school and saw a public high school not far from where she was and found out somehow that that school had no money for extracurriculars. So she went to that school, not her school, and started a marine biology club there. Those kinds of things where students are passionate and show initiative really are impressive to colleges. Yeah, I think that's that's very helpful, especially because I know at first I kind of had a varied list of extracurriculars and I was a bit all over the place. So I'm kind of taking away like you should focus it down, like pick a few things you're really passionate about and give your all to those. Right. Instead of. Yes. Then across the board. Yeah, absolutely. And because, again, the whole way in which colleges have have approached admissions has changed. In my day, and perhaps in the day of some of your advisors, colleges were looking for a quote-unquote well-rounded student. Mm -hmm. That's changed a little bit. Now they are looking less for a student who is a member of necessarily eight clubs and maybe has a vice president's position at one or something like that. Now less, they're looking less for a well-rounded student than a well-rounded class. Where are my artists? I'm an admissions officer. Where are my debaters? Where are my musicians? Where are my actors? Where are my mathematicians? So they're looking to make sure that they have kind of stars in many different areas. Where's my community service superstar? Yeah, that is definitely very, very helpful. And we've been talking a lot about, you know, how to make yourself look good on your applications yeah. and how to apply to colleges. But 
I'm wondering more about now, how do you find the right colleges that are for you? And how, especially when you can't tour schools physically, how do you begin your college search and figure it all out? Yeah, spring for many reasons, obviously. Last spring was just a disruptive time for everyone, including students who were going to go on the traditional tours of colleges with their folks over spring break. And look, there is no substitute for visiting a college in person. I've seen it with my students. I've seen it with my own my own two sons and visited with them and seen them like and dislike schools for various reasons. It's, a, it's an almost visceral response that you get when you go. So how do you make up for it? Well, there are online information sessions that you can now sign up for. These are given by college admissions officers in place of the in-person, you know, information sessions that you would receive for 30 or 40 minutes in an auditorium when you visit a school. So sign up for those. There are virtual college fairs that you can sign up for. And we make all of our students aware of you know, college fairs that are that are upcoming. Start to visit schools' websites, drill down if you're interested in a particular discipline and see if it, you know, if if this makes sense to you. Sign up for uh, various social media at schools. Um, start a conversation if you have interest in a particular school with that admissions officer who represents Uh, the school in your geographic region. Introduce yourself, tell that person what you're interested in, and ask some good questions that aren't necessarily easily accessible on the website. Mm -hmm. But in a a broader sense, um, trying to determine the kind of school you want to go to and narrowing your college list is, you know, is a critical part of what we do. And so we ask questions like, where do you want to go to school? You know, the Northeast, the Southwest, the Midwest, and what kind of school do you think you'd be more comfortable at? A big state university, and it's important in a perfect world to visit that, with 20 or 25 or 30,000 students, or a liberal arts college with two or 3,000 students. Do you care if at a big state university, a fair number of your courses might be in a lecture hall with 300 other students, and maybe you won't get to know your professor especially well. On the other hand, do you think you'll learn better and enjoy the academic experience more at uh, a liberal arts college where there are 25 students in your class, and frankly, you'll be asked to speak and contribute to the, the conversation? Uh, there are other factors, you know, the the sort of culture of the school. Uh, do you care if on uh, Saturdays, uh, you know, everyone puts face paint on and goes to, uh, you know, the football game and acts a little goofy and your school is on ESPN regularly? Or, you know, is that just not important to you? So there are a number of factors that we begin with as we sort of drill down with a student to get his or her interests and then formulate colleges accordingly. There are three, more than 3,000 four-year schools in the United States, and we are very confident that there are 10 schools that students can arrive at as ones that they really do want to go to. Now, as I said, three may be reach schools, but, um, yeah, those are important yeah. factors. Uh, one, you know, I, I do want to add one thing. There is a kind of mantra in college admissions these days, which is demonstrated interest. Certain schools love it when you demonstrate interest. Now, in the old days, pre-COVID, that was showing up on their campus, registering, having registered for a tours and information sessions. But now it can be demonstrating that you have signed up for an online information session. Schools like to be liked. And I I do want to speak about the power of early action and early decision briefly, because that is just a vital uh, part of being liked. Increasingly, if 
if you can apply to a school early decision, your chances of getting in are considerably higher than if you are in the regular decision pool. And what's happening now is many schools, not all, but many of them, are actually forming up to 50% of their freshman class with early decision admits. So that means that they've shrunk the number of applicants they can receive, uh, they can accept considerably in the regular decision pool. And they're, instead of, you know, 40,000 applicants competing for 3,000 spaces, it's 40,000 now competing for 1,500 spaces. So arriving at a decision about which school to choose for early decision is a really critical part of what we do in working with our students. It is a binding agreement, by the way. Um, So that's important to know. Yeah. And while we're talking about applications, I was wondering, you've been saying we should you should apply to 10 schools in general, but does that change whether you're using the college app or not? Because I know some schools don't accept that. So then should you be looking at more, less? No, we think, you know, if Georgetown, for example, has its own rather thorny, difficult application. The University of California system has its own application. The great thing about that is, while there are unfortunately four essays for that, you can, once you do that, you can apply through that to, for example, UCLA, Berkeley, UC Davis, Santa Barbara, et cetera. It's just, you know, you send in $60 or whatever to each school. But no, we, we think, you know, 10 schools, the, the, the UC application would count as one, uh, but generally uh, 10 schools is is a good number, uh, whether the applications are on the coalition application, the common application, or whether they have their own application. Now, it's obviously easiest if all of your schools are on the common application, but even if some of your schools are on the coalition application, and I might be getting too much inside baseball here for some of your wealth managers right now, Uh, But even if they are, a lot of that information that's already been entered on the Common App is easily transferable to the other application. That is very helpful. And yeah, I mean, there is a lot to manage and a lot of different websites, especially when you're kind of doing the research by yourself. So, Well, it sounds like you've done quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I have. Yeah. You're ahead of the game, I think. Hopefully. Yeah. And so going back also to what you were saying about early decision, that type of stuff, does that then affect you in any way when you're trying to compete for scholarships and that type of stuff? Yeah. Well, that is one of the sort of questions because, you know, if if you apply early decision to a school and you're accepted, they've got you. So they don't, because it's a binding agreement. So some of the thinking is sometimes that the scholarship or even financial aid opportunities might not necessarily be as appealing for early decision admits because you're going. Now, less so with early action admits. Early action means you receive hopefully either in December, January, or February, notification from a school that you've been admitted early, but you're not obligated to go. But it's just you've been admitted, but you can still keep your options open. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, if, if a consideration is you know, a bundle of financial aid, perhaps, or, you know, wonderful scholarship opportunities, those may be less widely available to early decision admits. Definitely good to know. Yeah. And so another attendee question we have, which going back to extracurriculars, Hmm. is there any difference in the value of extracurriculars? For example, looking at school-sponsored activities versus ones that you do within your community for community involvement? That's a good question. It really depends on how you excel in those activities. I mean, if you're editor of the newspaper, 
what have you done with the newspaper? You know, if you're head of the key club or whatever, what have you done with the key club? There, it, it's really, it's not the activity itself, it's what you've done with it. We had a slide up uh, for a minute that said, put passion to work in your community. So a great thing to think about is, and I, um, is if you've got an academic passion, find a way to share that passion with others in your community. For example, I have a, a wonderful, brilliant student who started a club at his school called Can Code. And um, he is a sort of STEM kid. And he, this club goes outside the four walls of his school and teaches disadvantaged students how to code. I have tons of other students who are tutoring, continuing to tutor online right now, disadvantaged students that they ordinarily would have tutored in person. But in answer to that one question, it's not where you do it, it's what you do with it. I think that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of brings us now that we've covered it all, we've covered extracurriculars and essay, how to figure out the colleges. So as we close and wrap this up, um, I was wondering how can you find a good college counselor and how do you know that they're a good fit? Yeah, well, without being too self-promotional here, you know, we do offer a a one-hour free consultation. And I often, so you can, if you're interested, contact me. And I I often uh, see it as a great way for me to get to know a student, get to understand a student and his or her family. And uh, just in more detail than obviously we would do in a webinar. And for them to sort of begin to understand our process and how we work. and what our strategies and guidance might be. So that's certainly one way to do that. And one of the great things about our company, if I may boast a little bit, is we really are a team. There are 15 of us and we meet every morning on Zoom and we discuss student cases, uh, students individually, only with the aim of you know, finding ways to to help those students, uh, be they in extracurriculars or in their application process. And in the application process, and this is really important, once an application has been sort of approved by me, that means all the information has been loaded in appropriately, the essays, you know, look good. I will print that application out and review it with a pencil and then share it with a second counselor who has never seen this student before, knows nothing about him or her. And so the aim there is that counselor, that second counselor is looking at that student in the same way that an admissions officer might be. So we have a double review process that I think is one of our great strengths and serves students very well. And sometimes, you know, uh, essays, we'll, we'll ask students to revise essays just a little bit more. And our aim is to, you know, get them to where we think that guy on his porch in Wesleyan is going to say, wow. I do want to add one quick thing. And, and this is just advice for your your wealth managers, whether they're parents or they're just, you know, working with clients, the sooner that students and parents can come to us in their academic lives, the better. I should say that the fee is the same for whether you start with us in ninth grade or in 11th grade. But in ninth grade, we can get to know the student better. We can, there's more flexibility with working with that student on you know, uh, choices of courses on, you know, nurturing extracurriculars and those things, then, then frankly, there is in, you know, in summer between junior and senior year. So I think that, you know, 
our guidance and strategy are always good, but are, are, we can better serve students, I think, ultimately, when we work with them earlier on. Perfect. I was actually just about to ask that when you... Yeah, thank you. Thank you both. I just want to pop on now to say thank you both for going through this. It was a lot of really good information. And for anybody that's attending, if if you have follow-up questions, you can ask your advisor. Um, Andy's information was up. We will share um, those slides afterwards. And again, Andy's happy to to talk with people. He's, no endorsement. It's just that we've had such a great experience working with him. So that's why um, we've we've brought him onto this this session. So thanks everyone for being a part of this. Thank Thank you, you, Emma. Thank you, Emma. And now go get back to work, Emma. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks all. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you found this episode of the Wealth Report podcast helpful. And if you have any high schoolers navigating this uncharted territory, please share this podcast with them. From all of us here at Hightower Advisors, be well. Hightower is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the podcast guests and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.